Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains, presented with the British Adventure Collective. This episode's guest is Pip Stewart. Now, I approached Pip uh, on email, not in person, that'd be weird, about a year and a half ago and you know, asked if she wanted to come on the podcast and I didn't get, get a reply and that's fine, she's a busy person. And I get this email uh, a few months back, and you'll hear you'll hear Pip saying at the start of the interview, just going, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Love to come on." So obviously, I gladly accepted, and um, here we are uh, with a conversation, di- diving straight into, you know, what adventure means to us, our background, you know, the, the things that form our 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 love for adventure. Talk about acceptable risk. Obviously, the, the whole conversation is po- so positive. And she asks me a few questions as well, so if you don't mind me waffling on occasion, then uh, there's that. But otherwise, I really, really hope you enjoy the episode. And here's Pip Stewart. Pip, hello, how are you doing? Welcome to the oh, podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. And also, um, for anyone listening, like, unfortunately, Chris emailed me a year ago to say, do you want to come and be a guest? And I completely missed the email. So... I found it in my inbox, so thank you for having me on a year after you asked me. <laughs> well, thank you for coming back a year a year later. So you, there's a, there's efficiency there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm blaming my small toddler, but um, no, it's t- entirely my fault. And thank you. Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, the 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 pleasure is mine. So yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it was funny that the email came in and it was it was like a pleasant surprise. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, Pip. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, f- fantastic. Thank you. Um, I, I kind of wanted to um, um, kind of jump straight into it, really. Um, you, it, it was with admiration I was listening to your story. So I'm currently doing a master's in criminology. So I, I, I have a gauge of how difficult it is to do this. But you obviously um, decided to do a master's in journalism. So away from your what your undergrad discipline was, committed Plan, you know, packed, planned, um, and executed the plan to go to Hong Kong to do journalism, and I think those transferable skills uh, really play a lot into adventure. So I kind of wanted to ask, where did you get that sort of mindset from? What did adventure look like to you growing up? Mm, that's a really interesting question. Um, I guess so. My dad was in the forces, mm. and I suppose for much of my life, it's been this like really peripatetic, like moving around sort of lifestyle. And, you know, my parents didn't put me into boarding school or anything like that. Every time they moved, I moved with them. So I think I kind of got used to kind of being in a place for a little while and then moving. And, you know, that has its advantages and disadvantages. But one of the advantages was that, like, I sort of felt as an adult unafraid of change because it was something that I was very used to as as a child. And actually, I really embraced it and really enjoyed it. So, you know, when I had the opportunity to study in Hong Kong, I was like, of course, like, why would I not? I've never been there. I don't know what it's like, but it, it sounds exciting. It sounds interesting. Um, and I think it's probably that base of like constantly moving as a kid, really, and not being afraid of it and trying to embrace it rather than see it as like a, a problem in many ways. That's really fascinating. That is. Uh, I like that. Yeah, I, I was because I was, you did say you're, you're I, uh, unfortunately, I, I can't remember what you said your mum your mum did, but something hardworking, but your dad, yeah, being in the forces, I was wondering, it, it's got to be one of two things. You're going to have moved around or he had you out on the mountains like, doing doing the fan dance like, every single yeah, weekend. But... You know what, it, it was a bit of both because I think my parents both like being outside. So it would be a lot of like walks and, um, you know, my mum, she she was a stay-at-home mum for, for a lot of time, which is the most hardworking job in the entire mm-hmm. world. Um, and I remember like, because dad would be away for times um, with work and mum would just drive us back from Germany where we were living back to the UK and, I think I grew up with a really strong female role model as well in mum, who was just like, cool, yeah, I'll drive two children across Europe. Why not? Like, that's absolutely fine. So, yeah, I think it was that kind of mixture of like having adventurous parents and, yeah, that constant movement as well. And it's interesting, and you probably find the same thing, Chris, being a dad to Penny, is like, you realise that as parents, we are role models. And whether we like mean to or not, like the way we are and the things that we think about sort of do shape our children for better and for worse. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite interesting, isn't it? That sort of pressure now being a mum myself and thinking, Oh yeah, how can I pass this love of nature and the outdoors onto my, my daughter Willow? Yeah. I've kind of had similar to you uh, twofold. What? Uh, so I was, I was raised by a uh, mum, but single parent mum. So saw my, saw my dad fortnightly weekends and 
So the first part was later looking back and realizing just how much she bloody did <laughs> um, to, to, to keep you know, a roof over our heads. You know, two, two boys working late, um, paying fees for childminder, still mowing the lawn on a Saturday, um, all while Tom and I only had to like sort of tidy our rooms every Saturday morning. I think looking back, I realized just how much of a role model she was. And then, yeah, like you say, when you've got a kid, it, um, uh, you know, for, for those who don't, uh, yeah, sorry to bore you, <laughs> but, um, but for those who do, you, you know, it, it's weird. Like just as soon as you have that child in front of you, everything just changes. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, fun, fantastic that you're passing it down. Like, taking yeah, it to the well, you realize how much parents do for you, don't you? You're like, oh, oh, wow. Okay, fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, this is bloody hard. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and your and your mum being full full time mum as well that that is that is bloody hard. Yeah, um, that that's it, it's like constantly spinning plates, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, especially if you're trying to get everything done in a nice time, you've got to be doing the washing, um, the dishwasher or washing up. Yeah. Uh, doing doing the oven, like cooking dinner, <laughs> like making sure your child's interacted with and happy. Yeah, like, it's, no, it's 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 full on. It is full on. Oh, uh, mental. Um, you, you know when um. In the research I've done, you know, you primarily talk about uh, kind of kind of the, the big three. You know, your your commute cycle home from Malaysia, uh, your um your uh, uh, exploration and adventuring around South America, and then the Essequibo River. But when you spoke about the Essequibo River project, you alluded to having done kayaking in New Zealand before. So I kind of wanted to ask: Did you do any like sort of micro mini adventures whilst you're out in Hong Kong Malaysia? Way? Yeah. So. I guess like yeah so you as you say my first foray into kayaking which sort of led on to like the big Essequibo um expedition was in New Zealand and it was just rubbish like it was unbelievable <laughs> I was with my ex-boyfriend and we thought like we, we like being outside we like going and doing little mini adventures and we decided to go kayaking and it was just unbelievably rubbish like my shoulders hurt my back aches I remember getting off this kayak and thinking this is the world's shittest sport I'm never doing it ever again um, I later discovered I also had glandular fever, which probably didn't help at the time because it didn't help the energy levels. But yeah, that was my first sort of experience of kayaking. So yeah, my, my advice would be if you tried something once and hated it, try it again and just, you know, double check. Um, but to answer your question about Hong Kong and Malaysia, yeah, we definitely, one of the things that surprised me most about Hong Kong was just how amazing it is in terms of natural beauty. So when I said to my friends and family, I was moving to Hong Kong, I think a lot of people were like, but you really like being outside and the outdoors and nature. The image of Hong Kong was the big skyline, the big skyscrapers, and it didn't really fit with that outdoorsy kind of lifestyle. And to be honest, I didn't really know what, what there was in Hong Kong in terms of nature. And then when, when I was there, I was like, this place is beautiful. One of my favorite adventures for anyone who wants to go to Hong Kong is there's a hike called the Dragon's Back. Um, and it is, it's just a beautiful, very hard-ish hike, um, but just absolutely stunning. And you can see this, like the sea on one side and you've got like little, I'm not going to call them mountains, given that, you know, you, you actually climb mountains, but like, you know, large hills that you're, you're up and down. And it was, it's just a beautiful place. And then you've got um, surfing. Um, so there's lots, lots going on in Hong Kong that people maybe don't necessarily see from the, the skyline images that we often come to associate with Hong Kong. Yeah, actually, if you think about it, if you're looking at um, sort of broader aerial shots of Hong Kong, it is surrounded by by hills and trees. Yeah, yeah. And, and that actually fits with um, with people I know who have been out to that area, um, not Hong Kong yet, but that that Southeast Asia feeling is wherever you go, where it's urban, you are essentially surrounded by jungle uh, and, and 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 landscape. Whereas I feel like in more Western countries. You have your urban areas, a bit of a gap, and then your landscape. <laughs> um, uh, perhaps that's not a fully educated view, so please you know, don't um, <laughs> don't go. The people listening don't go on citing me, going, "Oh well, Chris on Between the Mountains, that <laughs> wonderful academic." Um, but yeah, well, definitely. Well, that, way. That, Chris. That, that was quite interesting because what really surprised me, we lived on a little island um, just off Hong Kong Island called Lantau, and so often in the mornings we'd get up and go for a hike and. What surprises me about Hong Kong trails is it's a really popular um, sort of pastime really is hiking, but there's a lot of like concrete trails. So you can be in like 
really kind of natural environment with this very kind of set path, if you, if you know what I mean. And the spiders would be strung up in the morning across the path. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating place in that it is, um, is, is made for hiking in some ways. And there's a lot of, um, yeah, set official trails, if you like. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, uh, I decided to ask this fairly early on, but what is it about adventure and exploring that speaks to you? Ah, it's about growth, I think. It's about growth and learning because, and, and in so many ways it represents life because anyone who does adventures, you'll be, you'll, you know, you'll be going on your, one of your mountain trips and going, this is pretty miserable at times. Like, what am I doing? And, and that's true, like of any adventure when it's peeing down with rain and you're just cold and wet and you're looking forward to that moment when you can go inside and like have a nice hot drink and like sit down and relax. And I think so much of life is echoed in adventure in the sense that, you know, it's not always easy. There are moments where you want to give up. There are moments when you want to pack in. And I think for me, doing adventure gives me a lot of confidence. Um, it kind of proves to me you're always capable a little bit more than you think. Um, and yeah, I just love that. I love kind of seeing the growth in whether it's like you can walk a bit further or stay out a bit longer. And, and that for me is the appeal of it. Yeah, I, I think. What, what inspires you with that? Well, uh, actually, I related a lot to, to, to a few things you said. I mean, one, one of the things you said were in, in, uh, in another podcast, um, you know, side note, I should really start remembering which podcast these are because you probably <laughs> give them credit. Uh, so sorry if you're listening, Everything. going, I, I talked about that. <laughs> um, but um, but um, you said of adventure is a lot like holding up a mirror, right? So, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm yet to do, um, I meant to have already done my first big mountain, uh, which is Mount Kazbek, but thanks to the wonderful pandemic, uh, that's now going to be this year. So my experience has primarily been, uh, you know, UK and, and it is like, yeah, like you said, it's like holding up a mirror, right? You, you know, you're, you're having a look at, you're having a look at yourself through through pushing yourself basically hmm. yeah and and i mean do you always like what you see when you hold up that mirror uh, <laughs> most of the time I, I mean it's weird the mirror i look at at home i don't like <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah the, the mirror while adventuring is um yeah it, it, it yeah it, it's 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 fascinating um if you push yourself if you go i think if you go out for a summer hike it's not quite as effective and anyone can go for a lovely little walk in the sun um you know maybe if it's a heat wave and you're still trying to tackle a mountain um you know wearing a vest and shorts and that maybe that's a little bit different but I think that's part you know I think that's part of the reason why I like uh winter hikes so much uh you know the, the blusterier the colder the more harsh the weather I like that even more because I, I I've always been a big fan of and I've said this before so if anyone's listening they've heard it then you know shout out to you um which is, I think, you know, the gym, for instance, and and, and as well as the outdoors, are a good training and analogy for life. You know, if you can, if you can squat, you know, a really fucking heavy bar and still stand up a few times, and you're going to go back and do that for another three or four sets, then when you get into the workplace and you know you're under pressure uh, on on timelines and, and trying to get organized, it makes everything a lot easier. And I think the mountains is the same thing for more life. If you can push yourself in those harsh environments and you, you plan and you execute and you get that sense of achievement, uh, not only does it make everything easier um, in life, but again, something else you've said as well, um, which I wanted to get go on to in a second, is perspective. You know, looking at these, even in Scotland, like, they're huge. Like, like the, the, the backdrop you get at Fed, they're, like, they're bloody huge. And, and you sit there going, oh, it... Is it really a problem that I need to pay for my tires and my car? Like, like, is it really a problem this little argument I had with my girlfriend? Like, so yeah. yeah, it gives you a huge perspective. Absolutely. And I, I think it's where we're meant to be. And I think this is it's this disconnection that so many of us feel in life is because we're disconnected from nature. And I've always found, and, and you might feel the same, but like whenever you're in a wild place, that's when I feel most alive. And it was fascinating, like when we were in the jungle, there were so many threats, so many things that had the possibility to end our lives on a daily basis, whether that's rapids, waterfalls, caimans, jaguar, spiders or scorpions or whatever it was in the water. Um, but it was just, I've never felt more alive simply because your, your senses are like wired, you're feeling like, oh God, this is where I'm meant to be. This is what living actually is. And somehow, you know, I guess the structure of society, we, we layer on things like mortgages and bills and all, and all of this stuff. And, 
And suddenly that seems more important than going outside and just connecting with the grass or the trees or whatever it is. And yeah, I kind of think that's why we feel better when we go outside because it's more like back to our core of who we are as humans. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if you've been following Lucy Shepard's uh, <laughs> updates, um, but she she put on uh, Instagram the other day that one of the things she's been asked is, what does it feel like now you're back in the real world? Uh, and and her, to paraphrase so as to not butcher her answer, um, she she essentially said that uh, the real world is the jungle. You know, that that that's that's the real world, uh, and and coming back, you know, especially when you start learning about like, things like the capitalist dream and and everything and how how it's all just a funnel to shove money to the top and mortgages like 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 gorillas don't worry about mortgages yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah I, I really relate hugely with it I mean they're things that we do anyway and they give us pleasure um, but, um, but yeah you're but right that's there. a really interesting point because I think you know it is idealized to say oh let's just all go and you know live in a wild environment and get back to nature but I, I think the, the reality is, is how do we bring more nature into our urbanized lifestyles? Mm. You know, I was looking at um, telegraph poles the other day, or, you know, the cabinets for electric, like all the wires. Like, why can't we put some sort of like living roof on them or, you know, make things green? And, and because it ha- the science shows, like if, if our eyes are settling on nature, we feel happier. So it's, I guess it's more thinking about how can we restructure our towns and our cities to feel a little bit more in line with a natural environment. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that will have so many benefits, both for the environment and also for our mental health as well. So, yeah, I guess it's like, how do we how do we bring those two things together? Yeah, um, I think um, Cheltenham is a, is a good example of that. And, and perhaps it's not the best, but but certainly it's a place I, I did my undergrad. I'm doing my master's there. Um, I wish I could live there. Uh, maybe oh, one day I will. But, um, but, but you, you, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you drive around and... Like nearly every single road, not every single road, um, but nearly every single road just has trees down it, just dotted. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like every single road is an, is an opportunity to be an avenue. <laughs> and, uh, you've got all these trees dotted around. You've got plenty of green open areas. Uh, it's not too huge. The buildings aren't too massive. So you can still see Cleve Hill behind you as well, which just sort of towers up at certain points. It's Yeah, uh, I, I think... I think that's why I love it so much is because they've, they've integrated things quite nicely. Yeah. Do you know what? Cleve Hill is my favourite hill to go for a walk. Like whenever yeah. I'm back seeing my folks, I'm like, can we go up Cleve Hill and have a little look and just sit on the bench at the top and yeah, just look at Cheltenham below. It's just a beautiful spot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I did. I used to do hill sprints up there in my oh, undergrad. And, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. W- w- weighted pack hill, hill sprints. Uh, so it's a far wow, cry from now. But yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I took my friend up there. I, I was like, Toby, this is beautiful up there. You've got to come with me on a run. And he was quite a fitness freak. Like, and even like more so like now, like he's doing some incredible achievements, raising money for charity. Um, but yeah, he, he, he's like, yeah, all right, let's go. And he gets up there and he goes, oh, I need some kind of naked photo or something. So he like, strips <laughs> off. And like, we, we took it in terms of this, like, like from behind, thankfully, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but like butt naked photo with like Cheltenham like down in front of us. Uh, so, um, so that was hilarious. But, um, classic for the loo, a loo shot. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or, or, or Instagram about two hours later. Okay, but... Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, incredible city. Uh, quite quite a tangent though, but I think um, another thing you've said as well, which um, I didn't know if you had any further comments on, was, was to sort of paraphrase what you were saying elsewhere, was that you're essentially, you're not, you're not scared of dying, you're scared of not living. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. It's like, it's bizarre. I don't, I don't know if you do this a lot, Chris, but I, I think about death quite a lot because it is scary. It's like a big thing to get your head around. Um, but actually, in, in thinking about it, it helps me live more, in a sense, because you realise, like, life isn't guaranteed to any of us. Um, and, you know, I obviously I got um, a flesh-eating parasite off the back of this adventure in Guyana, um, you know, being told by the doctors that there's a there's a, a parasite in your neck that has a potential to eat off your nose and mouth. You know, you think, geez, that's that's pretty gritty. And that's the best case scenario, because the worst case scenario is there's a type that kills you within two years. So, you know, I, I guess like on that Guyana expedition, especially, like I said, every day there was something to end, had the power to end your life. And and that was a really bizarre thing to kind of get your head around that actually at any moment this could be it 
and you know I nearly sat on a deadly snake at one point I went backwards down a rapid um, I'm a pretty clumsy human being so I think for me especially it was like there are so many moments that um, had the potential to go a different way and it was pure luck I think and uh, and our guides actually in the YY that kept me alive um, but yeah I think living living is about just embracing life isn't it in all its forms and and I I talk often but I think it's true that we're sold this dream of happiness aren't we and it's not to say that I'm like let's let's all go and be unhappy I don't, that's not what I'm saying but I think <laughs> that constant focus on achieving happiness and contentment is actually detrimental I think it's more about you know embracing whatever emotion is coming up and like we talked about at the beginning that's the beauty of adventure um, and I think actually by getting your head around the fact that we're not always going to be happy because that's not the human condition and any any human that is going around constantly happy it's like there's something wrong there um, I, yeah so I just I just think it's like just embracing all of life because the alternative is is not great yeah I think um I think I've got an inner Mexican in me or something because I, I I see death as a huge motivator and you know, when when I eventually sort of hand in the towel, I don't want people to be miserable dressed in black at, at my funeral. I'd really like it to be a celebration of 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 what whatever I've achieved. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and such an alien concept in the UK, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know about international listeners on this, but but I'm sure a lot of people might be able to relate. Which is that you almost get looked at weirdly if you think of death positively um it's very odd um but yeah I'm completely with you yeah like you know and again I, we're, we're chatting um before we hit record about Emily Scott and, and how much we talked before and after recording um but in something we were talking about was that no one's on their deathbed wanting more money no like they're, they're not like about about to take their last breath and they go wish I had another tenner like <laughs> you know they're always wishing they'd done something Oh my God. There's a brilliant book on this, actually, um, by Bonnie Ware called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And that's a really fascinating book because she used to work in a care home. And she was saying, like, people were not saying, as, as you say, oh, I wish I'd earned like an extra couple of grand a year. It's like, no, I wish I'd worked less. I wish I'd spent more time with my family. I, you know, like the kind of it's, it's so innate. It's so obvious to so many of us. And yet it's not what we're potentially prioritizing. Um, and it, yeah, I think it's just, it helps me really focus on what do I want out of life and how how do I go about getting that? And that's only become even more important since having Willow. Yeah, well, I, I think this next question, uh, it, it's like a subtle segue because I think, I think I know the answer, uh, at least for today's uh, response. Um, but, you know, one, one thing you said was that you, uh, you decided to leave your job at Innocent uh, smoothies <laughs> before you got sacked because <laughs> um, because you you weren't very good at it in your words not mine um, no that that's absolutely and... accurate <laughs> I think in anybody's <laughs> words it's like she's pretty useless at selling things I just didn't want people going oh that Chris is slags off his guests <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, go, go, I'll go and cry after this Chris <laughs> <laughs> but um but but yeah I, I wanted to ask really about self-awareness that, that, that's quite that's quite a good ability to be able to have a look at yourself and go actually yeah like this this is this is what I'm good at this is what I'm currently not very good at you know, do, do you think you've always had that ability to be self-aware or is that something that's specifically had to grow with the the adventures and the tasks you've taken on um that's a really interesting question I think I've always been interested in growth um and I've really liked uh reading books about mindset and things like that but I think recently in the last maybe five years or so, it's actually sort of looking at the self and thinking, okay, so how, how can I personally grow? And I think part of that is accepting that you will get things wrong and that you're not this, you're, that we're a work in progress. And it's, it's almost like separating the ego from that in a sense, isn't it? Because it's, it's really hard to say this is wrong about yourself or this isn't, you don't like this about yourself. And I think it takes a fair amount of courage to say, okay, hats off. Like, I'd like to change this. I accept that this isn't working for me right now. And then equally not getting so like internalized and saying, this is me. I am a bad person. I'm a shit human being. I can't do anything. And it's kind of having that slight detachment and going, well, yeah, I'm not very good at this right now. Um, I'm going to try something else. And I think, you know, all the, I have worked in traditional businesses. You know, I've worked in Innocent. I've worked at Red Bull and, 
you know, often you get like an exterior person coming in and saying, right, this, this is how you can be an efficient worker. And a lot of what people say <laughs> is it's like playing to your strengths. So, you know, at Innocent Drinks, for example, I, I really love the company because I wanted to be a copywriter there, essentially. Um, the job that was on offer was a salesperson, not a copywriter. So I, tr I tried my best. I obviously sold myself enough at interview to get a job in sales, thinking I'll, I'll move, I'll segue to, to become a copywriter. But that's not how the world of work often works. And the, and the response I was getting was, no, you need to prove yourself in your job first, and then we'll think about moving you elsewhere. And that was a real case of not actually playing to my strengths. Um, and as a result, I, I just I wasn't very happy there. I didn't I didn't really amazing company. But in, in terms of work, I didn't feel that fulfilled. I felt like I could give so much more. I felt pretty useless because, you know, I'm going out trying to sell smoothies and people are saying they're too expensive. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, they might be. Actually, you got a point, um, <laughs> which you know doesn't help. Um, but then using that skill as as a journalist to, to kind of inquire and to sympathize and empathize is actually that was quite useful. So. I think it's just about kind of giving yourself a bit of a break when it comes to growth and learning and accepting you, you don't have to be perfect right now. You know, you are going to get things wrong. You are growing, you're developing. And, you know, one of the things that's really fascinating is having a, a small person in Willow. She's two. You know, we celebrate every time she has a milestone. But as adults, we don't celebrate the same thing. It's like some days you can be like, oh, I feel really angry right now. And I'm going to look inside and figure out why. And that should be celebrated because that's quite important as we develop. Or like if someone says something and you feel angry and you're triggered and it's like, well, why is that happening? Yet we're not celebrating that emotional growth in the same way we celebrate children's milestones. So, yeah, it's, it's a work in progress, Chris, it's, to answer your question. I think it's I've still got a long way to go. I'm still learning. And, and that's that's the fun of it, isn't it? Like, who knows what I'll be like when I'm 90? Um, yeah, maybe very different. Who knows? Yeah, I am. Um what you said there I've, I've been summarizing to penny as well actually recently so she um uh, she was making some comments about um one of the kids at a party he was doing something which she knew was kind of being a bit naughty and i basically just said to her i was like you got to remember everyone is learning different things at different times and at the time i was definitely thinking about primary school <laughs> i was like people are learning different things at different times you know he's doing this but also if you remember you also do this at the moment which he might be good at so, you know, people learn different things at different times. And I stepped back from that conversation. And I realized actually that that literally goes for every age of life, for every single year that like, you don't suddenly reach 18 and suddenly everyone knows the same skill level of emotional intelligence and, you know, sales all the way through to project management. You know, yeah. <clears throat> well, like your podcast, right? I imagine it's been a work in progress. Like you Still said, is, yeah. like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But from year one, you know, you probably improved massively. And, and that's the thing. And that's the beauty of it. It's just like you get better, you refine things. And I think that's the thing. We, we refine our ways as we get older. We don't like get set in them, I think. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, um, I, I agree. Or at least that's what that's what should happen. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> in, in theory, that's what's meant to happen as you go through. Yeah. Um, and and I, I remember as well listening to you like about perspective as well and that sort of I know perspective helps with self-awareness and it was really interesting you were talking about learning about the politics in journalism and then realizing actually what politics and journalism means to you as a British person is completely different to your uh, your colleague at university from Myanmar yeah yeah nuts well that was it you know I, that's what I really loved about studying in Hong Kong because you know we we're talking about media law as you alluded to and there's 36 different nationalities or people from different nationalities on my course and we all have a different perspective. So when you're discussing what the role of a journalist is in China with someone from China and someone from Myanmar and someone from Britain, you've got such different views and, and opinions. And, and that was really fascinating. And I think it's that ability to constantly question, you know, is my way the right way? Because we have these we're brought up in a society and a structure and we're given certain ideas and and often we just don't question them we just go along and say well actually that that seems fine that's what I well, that's what I know um but I think real transformational change comes when we can question our own ideas and our own society and say does this still hold up in in today's world are, are these views still legitimate and valid and um yeah I think that's just what I like I just and it's an inquiring life isn't it whether it's the society we live in or, or of ourselves yeah um yeah i um 
I didn't actually realize I had a story uh, that was similar until, until you just said that now. I'm, I drove to Norway um, to go to this um, car festival. But, um, when I got there, it was just after the Salisbury poisonings um, in, in the UK. And there was a, a, a guy, a Norwegian man there who had just been, spent a year on placement in Russia. Um, and he went, oh, you're from, you're from England. And I was like, yeah. And he, and he goes, oh, shame to hear about the Salisbury poisonings. And, that, and I was like, yeah, I know, right? And he goes, yeah, I can't believe you did that to your own people. And I was like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> like, that Russia did that to, to them. And then it was really interesting seeing how each of them had been portrayed and reported um, from the two basically opposing countries. So yeah, uh, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Yeah, and this is, this is what's really concerning, I think, in this age of like disinformation. It's like trying to figure out like, who are the, where are the sources that we can trust? Who should we be listening to? Um, what's the agenda and 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 yeah I mean that's a whole different podcast I think but yeah. uh, I, I think it is it's tricky it is really tricky in, in this day and age to figure out like what is truth and is there such a thing god so, that's not philosophical quite quickly yeah yeah that that is definitely another podcast I, I remember that lecture <laughs> at undergrad blowing my mind um so yeah, that's a that's a mad question yeah, yeah. so i'll try and not um answers on a postcard please yeah <laughs> yeah if you could fit it onto a post-it note then um then not only is that an achievement but well done um so uh, skipping back to adventure um you know you and um something i've noticed about you and laura bingham is that you almost have similar introductions to adventure not quite the same but you both for your first sort of big things you both kind of accidentally on purpose agreed to an interesting method of transport home. Um, you know, obviously Laura decided to sail from, uh, I think it was Mexico, wasn't it? To, to the, yeah. to the UK. Um, and you cycled from Malaysia to, to London, <laughs> and, um, which is a, a mental achievement, but that made me start thinking about teamwork uh, in, in the, in, um, you know, working together. Did you find that you clicked quite nicely with Laura and Ness on the Esquibo river or, or were there still um, lessons you learned from sort of South America that, that had to play in? Yeah, so that, that was really interesting in the sense of when you get a team together and when you spend 24-7 with people, you're going to rub up against each other. And um, so to, to give your listeners some context, Ness and Laura were really good mates, like their best mates. Ness is godparent to, to Laura's baby. And so they were like tight. And I was coming onto this expedition very much as a third wheel. Um, we were guided by um, a community called the YY community in Guyana. So we were going to have a team that was bigger than the three of us. Uh, it was a multinational team. And it was interesting from the sense of I knew that I was coming in with nothing to lose. Like there was no friendship to lose there. I had only French friends to gain, basically. Um, but equally, having done long distance travel things before with Charlie, uh, you know, he's, he's the love of my life. He's my partner. And I knew that even then you have a little bit of tension that, that creeps in. And that's with someone, you know, loves you unconditionally. So I'm like, okay, so people that I don't know particularly well, um, I knew what they, I, I got a bit of sense of what they were like from social media. Um, I'd met Laura once before at a festival called Campfire where I changed her baby's nappy. So I knew her enough to think, okay, she, I like her a lot. She, she's a nice lady, but we went to see us, um, I don't know whether he's called a psychologist. I think he's a psychologist. Um, a guy called Sandy Loder, who runs a company called Peak Dynamics. And he ran us through this uh, survival exercise and looked at kind of our strengths and weaknesses um, and gave us kind of flashpoints to look out for as part of the team. And that was a really useful prep method for that entire Guyana trip. Because one of the key things that he said was that, you know, as a team, you need to have a common goal. Um, if the goal changes, that's when like, conflict tends to seep into the team um I realized that in that exercise I had a different suggestion to Ness and Laura about how to keep safe when our plane had crash landed in the Arctic in, in this fictional exercise yet I didn't really push my views or speak up enough because I was like well they they kind of agree with each other and I feel like maybe my my view is perhaps not as valid um the reality was is I actually had the the right answer to try and keep us alive but because I didn't express myself um something that came out in that particular exercise was that I needed to speak up more and not be afraid to kind of 
you know, wade into what I saw as conflict, but is actually just kind of expressing opinion. Conversation. Yeah, exactly. And and so that was really interesting. And it, we talk about growth, that kind of mindset. And then, you know, you're meeting a whole nother group of people in, in the YY community. And, you know, we had five um, people guide us to, to the river source. And then we had Anton Ramel join us um, on the on the paddle to the Atlantic Ocean. And at each stage, you know, you've got different dynamics and you have to try and work those things through. So, you know, team dynamics is massively important. Uh, we did have moments of conflict, I think, prim- primarily because the goal of the expedition changed at point. You know, Laura had an eight month old baby at home. Um, she understandably wanted to get back to Ran. I am a slow ass traveler. Like She's like, come on, Pip, speed up. And, you know, I'm trying to go as fast as I can. Um, and obviously, you know, I can see my friend is in distress. I, I want to go fast. I want to like speed up. But my body is just not, it just wasn't as capable as, as the others, to be honest. Um, so inevitably that led into some tension. And I, I write in the book, but I wasn't particularly helpful in this situation either, because rather than expressing it, rather than expressing my frustration that, you know, I thought we'd agreed to have the goal of the expedition wasn't to do it quickly. It was to have a fun trip down the river. That sort of changed as things took longer. Um, and instead of saying, look, I'm this is just too quick. We need to slow down. We need to come up with a different plan here. I would just stare daggers at Laura, apparently. Laura would be like, Pip, look, you're just staring daggers at me. And I'm like, no, I'm not. But actually, I think... If I'm being honest, I probably was because I was frustrated. And what was a real turning point was actually we had a really good conversation where Laura told me this. And I said, well, I don't feel like you're really listening. And I feel like you're trying to push through this need for speed and we're all going along with it. Um, And we had a really good conversation made up over the campfire and then just got on with it. And that was a real learning in the sense of, you know, if something is bothering you, just speak up, especially in a team environment, because otherwise it just festers. Um, and creates that sense of ill feeling yeah and I know you're talking about having a that common goal so having a having a sit down and uh, of that campfire and just just realigning yourselves would have massively helped yeah, yeah definitely and and hats off like I I love Ness and Laura to bits they are like family to me now and I think when you go through something like that um, it's really powerful and actually to also realize you can have conflict with people that you care about and come out stronger for it. And I think that as a people pleaser, that is something I've historically tried to avoid at any cost. Cause I'm like, if I say something negative, people aren't going to like me. Um, and then, you know, X, Y, and Z will happen. And, and actually that's really unhelpful. And that's really unhelpful on expedition because you need to be able to speak openly. Yeah, exactly. I'm um, talking about the jungle. I kind of wanted to ask, um, I, I got thinking when, when you, when you were, I was listening to you chat about it, is do you think there's one thing, or maybe there's a handful of things, but if you could pick one thing that you experience in the jungle that no one else will understand unless they go to the jungle, like, is there a certain experience that comes to mind at all? I mean, obviously, I know everything out there is designed to kill you, so that and that's not really something you experience in London. <laughs> it, it, I would say it's that noise at night, you know, when you're lying in your hammock and the jungle just roars to life and... You kind of think, okay, great, I'm bedding down for sleep. And the entire world around you has other ideas. And <laughs> I, I think that for me was like just such a special time. Um, and also seeing the transition in the sense of when it, when it first started happening, I was terrified. You know, you're trying to go to sleep and you hear Jaguar like growls very close and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get eaten. And it's that kind of battle with your brain that if anyone who can't sleep knows at like 3am when you're having that conversation with your brain that's like go to sleep um just with the added layer of what are you going to get eaten by is there a flash flood coming uh is that a spider in my hammock are my shoes are like turned up properly so there's no scorpions crawling into them it's all those sort of worries that creep into your brain in the middle of the night um and that over time transformed from like that terror of being in the jungle at night to so lying in my hammock and just going, wow, oh my goodness. When the howler monkeys kind of signify dawn and that prehistoric growl that they do, um, it's, it's just an, a magical experience and one that I'll never forget. And I, I often would record on my, my phone the sounds of the jungle, uh, whether it's like the rain on the tarp or just the noise at night, because it was such a special, it's such a special place. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I know um, Charlie said to you when you were cycling home that this, is, this isn't a physical challenge, this is a mental challenge. Um, and I wanted to ask you, how important do you think it is to have a mantra when you're doing these sort of things? Well, do you know what? I didn't realise about mantra until like I'm in the middle of something. But mm. um, yeah, so on, on the bike trip, it was like, these are not physical journeys, they're mental ones. And that was what I was telling myself as I was going up a hill. Um, as we approach the Atlantic Ocean on this Guyana trip and the, the headwinds are huge, the, the waves are massive. And I'm like, I can just see this pink blooming house on my right. And it has been there, Chris, I, I no word of a lie, for about two hours. I'm like, I am not going anywhere. This pink house is still freaking there. Um, and the mantra that came to me in that was like, you can do this, you are doing this. You can do this, you are doing this. And every paddle stroke was just that. And I think it... It just kind of got my brain into this zone of like, okay, fine, that's where it is. And it's a slight segue, but I took that mantra into labor. I'm like, do you know what? I, I, I've done this paddling thing. I can, I can give birth. It's fine. And so that was a mantra that I had in my head. But halfway through labor, it quickly turned into nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts, yeah. nothing lasts forever. So yeah, I think, I think if you like words, the right words will come to you at the time and what works for me won't work for you. And um, again, yeah. it might just differ in different environments. But uh, yeah, I love a mantra. Yeah, amazing that you used it in labour as well because that, that, yeah. is, that is an intense time <laughs> of your life. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, if, if, if there's any women listening who have given birth, if you can do that, you can, you can paddle down a river. Like, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. So um, something like I, I get the privilege of doing on this podcast is essentially learning so much from other people because I get I get I get people who have an incredible mindset incredible upbringing lifestyle they've achieved so much they they're about to achieve so much um and obviously you you've done quite a lot in journalism but specifically you were the the Red Bull adventure editor at one point and I was I wanted to ask were there any key lessons that you were able to take from your time working at Red Bull at all? Was there anything that you were, you were editing away or chatting to people when you thought, oh, wow, that's, that's really powerful, that is? Hmm. I think the biggest thing is Red Bull absolutely nail is that they try and get Red Bull into daily life, whether that's through Red Bull racing, whether it's through their videos, whether it's through the actual drink. And I think while I was working there, I realized the power of social media, like on a really major scale, because that's how a lot of how Red Bull communicate. Um, And also looking at the power of communities. So when I would commission a piece, like people would send in different pictures, different ideas. And it was really interesting to see that real time feedback about what performs. Um, And it was things like wild swimming, like huge swimming community um, and climbing as well. Climbing was one of the biggest and most kind of tight-knit communities out there and if you nailed a good climbing story about like the best places to climb or whatever um you you would have traction on that people would share it and spread it and I think that's what probably I came away with is it's actually not so much about the product whatever it is whether it's a podcast or a drink or a, a video or whatever it's about finding a community and finding voices that you can amplify and share um and I think that that's where Red Bull has been super powerful. Yeah, I like that. That's a that's a brilliant answer. That is. Um, and, and, sorry, Chris, go for it. No, no, you go, you go, you go. I was going to say because you said you you've had the privilege of talking to a lot of amazing guests, and has there been anything that stuck out for you in the sense of like, oh my god, that that piece has changed how I see life, or that that kind of interview has changed something for me? Yeah. Um, th- so what are we on now? I think when this episode goes out, it's something like episode 124 or something uh, ridiculous. And, and if, if you if you count for the double episodes and the and the early ones that are just me waffling away under an because I thought I needed to soundproof myself, so I had like a, had a blanket over my head talking to this really rubbish 10 quid eBay USB mic. Um, excluding them, that's probably about between 90 and 100 um, uh, individual people. Wow. Um, and it's weird. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I also I kind of pendulate between different um, just things that are on my mind at the time. So, uh, you know, uh, Sonny Strower, for instance, was really profound in talking about um, and it's kind of in relation to the next question, actually, which is probably why she's come to the forefront of my mind. She was talking about different types of risk and what she is happy to dive into and what she's not happy to dive into. And similarly, I know um, um, uh, um, Rebecca, um, who was on, she um, 
she has a lot of first ascents and she she was talking about how she will push herself in territory she knows but then when she does a first ascent she steps down and she, and she makes sure that that first ascent it should should fall within what she's able to do because she doesn't want to be pushing herself in unknown territory so I, I go through modes of listening to that and really responding off that I go through modes where I forget I'm interviewing someone they tell such a captivating story I just completely forget I'm meant to have like prepared the next question in my head um it's weird i'd say there's a mixture of really profound lessons i take away and every single chat i leave inspired it's great um but then there's also times where i like to think i'm quite a positive person anyway and i self-reflect as much as i possibly can so there's a lot of conversations which actually just reinforce perhaps the the track i'm already on uh, and almost keep keep me on it so yeah i'd say it's, it's a mixture but but there's uh, it, it, it's too many, uh, which is quite lovely to be able to say. Yeah, uh, there's well, too many to depict something specific. I, I, lo- I love the expression that everyone can teach you something. Mm. And I, I think that's so true if we just kind of like, yeah. Well, it works twofold. It, 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 like, so for instance, I, I know with almost certainty, except for, unless I go, I won't know for sure, but I know with almost certainty, the jungle is not for me. And that is that is learned from uh, people like yourself telling stories about the jungle, which are, are incredible and inspiring and motivating. But I still sit there thinking, I don't want to be in a hammock with, <laughs> with parasites and bugs and snakes around me. I want to be somewhere cold where I don't have to worry about staying warm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yet, and then there's the other type of lessons where, you know it is for you they'll be talking about something and through sort of um trial trial and error basically people some people talk about things you know that's not quite who you are and other people talk about things and you know that that is who you are so it's um yeah it's nice it's twofold you can learn something from absolutely everyone. Yeah, yeah i love it that little feeling in your tummy that goes oh yeah i like this idea or yeah. no no that is that is a big no <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly um but I've, so I've, I've got I've got one last question before I get into sort of the last sort of smaller one and a half questions, um, the wrap up ones, which is uh, I was, it's something I've talked about with a lot of the, uh, the guests recently. And actually, um, I've talked about it with a lot of guys recently. So it'd be interesting to fire this question at, at, at you. Um, but, you know, we, we've talked about a, a lot about what you've achieved. Uh, we, we've talked about, um, you know, lessons, lessons learned, uh, and, and especially after becoming a, a mother and becoming a parent specifically. As you've gone through your adventure sort of career, has the line of acceptable risk shifted for you? Oh my goodness, yes, yes. I think when I started out, you know, quite naively, I'm like, yeah, I'll cycle from Malaysia to London. That's absolutely fine. Didn't give it much thought, didn't give it much preparation, to be honest. Um, and I think that's probably part of the naivety of youth, isn't it? Um, and, you know, I wouldn't change it. Uh, but then it's interesting having then gone on to do expeditions that actually are quite major and quite serious in their sort of scope. Um, I'm now way more aware of the risks. And for like the Guyana trip, for example, we had to do a really thorough risk assessment before we set off. Um, And then since becoming a mum, it's really interesting how my tolerance for risk has changed. And I'd love to be able to say, yeah, I definitely go back to do that expedition again. But I think the reality is, I, I don't really want to because it, they were life-threatening trips and that's okay. Like I've experienced that now. I know what that's like. Um, and then if I'm really honest, Chris, I think a lot of like, why do we do these adventures? Why do we need to do these world first? Why do we need to do these big things? And often it comes down to the ego and it comes down to like feeling insecure in some way and wanting to prove yourself in some way. And I think I just feel a lot more settled in myself now. It's like, I want to do adventures that I want to do. And that can involve, you know, like you say, climbing up Snowdon and something that's like slightly smaller scale that doesn't necessarily involve like flying off and and putting your life in danger. Not that to say Snowdon isn't a big adventure in itself because it is, but you know what I mean? It's like, um, I think just my level of risk has changed. Maybe it will come back again. And it's just like, this is just the stage that I'm in right now. Yeah, but equally, it doesn't have to. Uh, you know, it's it. You know, for, for some people, skiing your first red slope in Austria is at just about as mental uh, as people doing a first ascent. Uh, you know, yeah. like because arguably there's a skill level difference, but uh, you know, we could say that adventure is in the mind, right? Uh, yeah. it, it's it's not so much the physical activity you're doing; it's what it's what your mind perceives it to be. So yeah, yeah it, it and who are you doing it for? <laughs> are you doing this for yourself? 
in which case you don't need to shout about it you don't need to share it on social media you don't need to do all these things or are you doing it if you're really honest with yourself for other people are you doing it for that you know acclaim of like oh wow oh my god you've done that you're absolutely bonkers why would you do that and there's a real difference I think and it's it's interesting to like look into um it's not to say it's bad but it's just it's just interesting yeah, a, a huge respect to people like Fiona Quinn as well. Um, she she had a project to do um, from couch to ultramarathon. And, and I think it was uh, like six months she wanted to train from <clears throat> being quite a rookie runner to doing an ultramarathon, the Pennine Way. So huge. Um, and she she did take a step back just before she was um, she she went out to execute the project. She took a step back and she said, you know, who am I doing this for? I, I, I love cake. <laughs> and, and, she, and so instead she went to the Outer Hebrides and, and she ran the Outer Hebrides Islands, which I think is a much better project. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a, like, a huge respect for anyone who was able to take a step back and just just reassess. Because there's um, I read a quote recently which just said um, just because something uh, like no, you, you don't have to finish a bad idea. Yes. <laughs> just because you committed to the bad idea doesn't mean you have to complete it you can just stop <laughs> yeah and sometimes it's the bravest thing to do to go actually yeah actually this chocolate cake looks way more appealing than a, an ultra run yeah sorry yeah. Yeah, exactly and so <laughs> you gonna have it and, and like who who's gonna who's gonna say that isn't an adventure doing cake stops on the outer hebrides whilst running the outer hebrides as well which I is mean, already quite long anyway sign me up that sounds awesome it's not it's not a, a park run on a saturday morning is it so <laughs> Well, listen, um, I, I've got one and a half sort of last questions. Um, the first one is in, in everything you've done so far, what is one moment that you would love to relive? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. In life, do you mean, or in adventure? Uh, oh, I think life would be too harsh to, to ask. <laughs> I think <laughs> that, that would just be mean. It's, it's already quite a tough question as it is. The amount of times I've had to edit silences out for, for yeah. thinking. <laughs> okay, well, if it's adventure, I think it would be the end of our Essequibo paddle because uh, we ended, you know, in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, just outside of Georgetown, the capital of Guyana, and it was right next to a shrimp processing factory. So the, the smell of shrimp was wafting through the air. And I'll never forget, like, our fixer on the ground in Guyana tried to put up a little banner, but it had got washed into the sea and it was now like this kind of, you know, wet, soggy banner my friends and I all just stink of sweat. And that point where you smell like vinegar, you are so disgustingly yes. sweaty and it's like infused into your clothes. Um, and we were just, you know, I looked at all my teammates, you know, Faye and a lady who joined us and Ness and Laura and, and Romel and Ant, and we're all there in this big sweaty cuddle um, under each other's armpits, just jumping for joy that we'd made it. And I think it was that pride of knowing what you can achieve as a team and, it felt really special. It felt like one of those genuine moments where like, oh my God, we, we've done something major and we're bonded as a result. And it was just, yeah, that for me was a really magical moment, um, which I would go back to. Perfect. And then the last question, which is why I always call it a harp question, which is that if we wanted to follow along with your adventures, um, check out what you're up to, read any materials, where could we go and do that? Cool. Well, social media I love because um, it's social, two-way thing. Um, and it's Pip Stewart on Twitter and Instagram. That's S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Um, or I've written a book called Life Lessons from the Amazon, which is available in all good bookshops, hopefully. Perfect. Well, listen, I'll put those links in the in the show notes. But Pip, it's been such a bloody pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you, Chris. A year after asking. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.